Hello, we are at Momocon 2014. I am honored to be joined by Sifu Manuel Rodriguez. Uh, Manuel, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. Um, so how are you enjoying Momocon so far? Right now it's just at the beginning, and people are just starting to trickle in, and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I always enjoy looking at what the people do with just like cardboard and whatever they can to make these magnificent costumes. And uh, of course you understand, or probably don't, that cosplaying is a new thing to me. And I've enjoyed it so much that I decided to wear a purple top. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so for those listening at home, talk a little bit about what it is that you do and how you uh, came to be involved with the Avatar series. That's an interesting story. Um, my involvement is through my martial arts career. And, uh, and it's because of my friend Kisu who got me involved with the Avatar project. As you, as you well know, Kisu was the main, uh, martial arts advisor for all the other characters except Toph. And what had happened is they were looking for a unique, uh, style that would represent the character Toph. This, uh, small, demure looking, uh, blind girl. And it just so happened that the style that I practice, Chu Ka, which is the imperial style of the Ming Dynasty. Uh, that's approximately 1333 to 1644 period of Chinese history. Um, that was the style of the imperial family. So it involved a lot of touching and you practice blindfolded very much like the Wing Chun style does. And it fit the character so well that he asked me if I wanted to work on the project. So then he took me to the Beverly Hills area, Bel Air area, where uh, uh, Brian Canesco and um, Mike uh, DiMartino were working on something of the before the actual project got really moving. And I was in the room with all these uh, computers and cables everywhere, and they asked me, would I want to be involved in this project? And I said yes, and that was three years before it came out. Wow. Um Tell me a little bit about that process, because you, you said that was three years in advance. Um, mm -hmm, it was, yeah. Um, how did that development come about? Um, were there any challenges specifically because the character was blind? Was that something that was, was up front, that, that they wanted the blind character? Oh, yeah, that, uh, was, that, was, up, that was up front. Um, I should explain that. That was, it was three years for me. It was two years going into the project. And as you know, Toph doesn't appear until the second book. Right. Right. So I had to sit through the first book to see if it was going to be a success before I would be working on. However, I, I did perform at the premiere on Nickelodeon's lot with all the officials there from Korea and, and the United States and stuff. And they, are, they had seen what I could do at that point in time. Um, so they were two years into coming forward and doing the final process for the first year, and that's when they uh, asked if I would work on that project. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a good way to ask this question. Mm -hmm. um, because the, it, it's difficult to wrap my mind around the idea of a blind martial artist. Okay. And, and how that how that particular style that you practice, um, how that would be implemented, any, any differences between what you would normally uh, do in training? Well, okay. In Chinese martial arts, we actually tame the wild horse. Now I'm going to have to explain that to you. Um, 
natural human body motions, for instance, curling up when you're being attacked, is what we practice. That's what we make our skill do, normal human actions, and then they are refined. So the old saying is, which is the better horse, the domesticated horse or the wild stallion that has been domesticated? You want the wild stallion because it still has all its spirit, has all its strength, and it's intelligent. So you take normal human motions, like where the knee comes up and you swallow up, and from there, once you feel the person's arm, then you're going to respond to their actions once they're touching. So it's very suited to not being able to see. Okay, so it's, it's, so it's far more reactionary than, say, predictive. Reacti reactionary and controlling. Once you come in and you, and you give me your force, then there's a thing that we call a tripoding or triangulation. I put my center into your center. As soon as you move your center, I'm going to shift with that. I'll start to fall a little bit. And I use that falling aspect to strike you. So it traps you and swallows you. It's kind of eats space like Pac-Man game. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is so fascinating. I, I have no, um, martial arts experience myself, but I find um, the, the, the process and sort of the, uh, like you said, you know, sort of the spacing aspects of it. To be very right. You have to be in the correct position, have correct timing, and you have to have to feel the pressure of the advance. Uh, uh, and when and once you got that, once you have the connection, what my Sifu used to say is you go fishing and then you set the hook. So you feel the pressure, and then you make a hook, and then now you got that person hooked with a certain part of your body, your elbow, your wrist. And then the person, whatever move they do, if you're properly trained, you'll be able to respond to it because your arms are connected. So if your right arm is forward and you twist your upper body in order for you to punch with your left hand, you have to retract your right shoulder. I'm going to feel that through your arm so I know what's coming. That is so fantastic. Yeah, that's how that's how the, that's how our system works. So we we go from long distance to medium range, and then we go to close range. And once we hit the close range, then that's where the sticky sticky power comes in. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how you came to be involved in martial arts. What was it that first attracted you? Uh, well, that's very funny. Is my mother put me in martial arts when I was a little kid. Um, my mother was stuck on Air Force bases, and uh, there were martial arts programs that were going on for the, for the wives of the the guys that were busy all the time. So my mother participated in those things, and then later on, you know, we practiced with her as little kids, like a mother duck <laughs> and the little ducks following. And then uh, when I grew up in Manhattan, in uh, in Spanish Harlem. There was uh, martial arts programs being put through by the church and stuff. At uh, Summer in the City was the program. And they took kids to Jerome Mackey's Judo and different karate classes. So I've been doing martial arts since I was seven years old. Wow. Um, was there a point where you realized, this is something I always want to be doing? Um you know, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I have never asked myself that. <laughs> I just kept doing I liked it so much I kept doing it. Um, my other love is music. So I, I play classical guitar. So it's the same. The same. I started an ensemble as well in Ventura, a youth ensemble for classical musicians. So. Oh, fantastic. Mm.
Um, what genres of music do you enjoy besides uh, classical guitar? Oh, I like all kinds of music. Uh, my, my, my brother is a big-time DJ in Chicago. He's Frankie Hollywood Rodriguez. Oh, cool. And um, I, I listen to everything from classical to R&B, and um, I'd have to say um, my favorite favorite thing to listen to when I'm not listening to classical music has to be old-school R&B. Uh, favorite artist? Oh, there's, there's, I don't exactly have a favorite artist. I, there's a lot of ones that I love to listen to. Um, let's see, who would I, who would I pull up that I would, that I would like to, uh, say? Well, Marvin Gaye would be definitely one. A good choice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good one. And then there's, uh, well, I always like as a kid, the Supremes, you know, Diana Ross and, uh, and, uh, and it goes on and on from there. The first album, I, the first 45 I bought was Dancing in the Street. <laughs> well, that was my go. first 45, so that kind of tells you where, where I was. And then at the same time, my mother would take me to all the uh, free concerts on the steps of Columbia University in New York City. So I always had this classical music and, you know, being brought up in Spanish Harlem. Of course, I had the salsa and the, and the, and the Cuban-style um, music and dancing going on in my life, too. So... Th- my favorite, though, I'd have to say, is the uh, R&B, yeah, soul. Are there any aspects of, say, guitar playing or martial arts that carry over into one another? Absolutely. The discipline when you play classical guitar, the focus that you need. Um, I would have to say, if you were going to make a comparison when you get to a certain level of musicianship, the ability to sight read is the same kind of technique that you use to sight read an opponent. You have to read instantly how the person is shifting, where their weight is, how their head is leaning, where their arm is, where their toe is pointing. Those are all very important things that you have to pick up in an instant. And when you're sight reading music, you have to look at that that score and you have to instantly know and your hand has to go exactly where that is and you have to have right timing. So definitely the timing aspect and the sight reading aspect and definitely the discipline aspect to perfection of skill and a perfection of self when it comes to martial arts and music is the same. What aspect of martial arts is the biggest challenge for you? For myself, everybody's challenge is different. Sure. Yeah, everybody's challenge is different. Um, um, Personally, myself, is um, I went through a few tragedies in my life, and they affected my constant training. I used to train all the time, and then uh, certain things happened in my life that were very, very tragic, and um, that put me on a, a, a tailspin, and recently pulled out of it. Um, I don't want to get into anything too personal, but I'm curious because I know all of us in some degree, in some aspect, have our own struggles that we deal with at different points in our lives. Um, was there something in particular that you can point to that helped you pull out of that tailspin? Well, I can tell you um, to make it perfectly clear, this will be the first time I say this in any public interview, um, though what sent me in that tailspin is my partner of nine years was killed in a motorcycle crash. Very certainly. Yeah, and that happened in 93, and for 10 years after that, uh, I was not myself. What saved me was my faith in God and my religion. And um, I never gave up my faith. And I always believed that we would meet together again 
but it was so painful. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, that kind of feeling, what happened. Um, I, I'm very sorry about your loss. That's, that's very tragic. Um, that explains my tailspin, though. Sure, yeah. As, as yeah. I, say, I can certainly um, empathize to some degree with, with that feeling. Um, you, you talk about your faith. Um, is that something that you've always had throughout your life? Um, I imagine that, for me at least, it would be very difficult to, and it has been at times, to maintain a sense of faith. Um, be it in God or, or even other people sometimes um, when going through my own difficulties in life um, it, it, was that was that something that was always constant for you well I, I think a little bit into my my background how I grew up and everything does make a difference um, I'm a cultural Catholic uh, my, my I'm half Cuban half Italian I spent half the time in the Bronx with the Italians and the other half the time with the Cubans in, uh, in Manhattan. And uh, religion is part of our cultural makeup. It's, it's not quite like... Um, it's, it's part of what you are when you're an Italian or, or Cuban, you know, sure. you know, and, and especially, you know, I'm 57, so I come from a generation back then. So everything we did out growing up was like stores were closed on certain days, the holidays, the whole neighborhood was practicing, you know, you were an actual cultural neighborhood that lived the faith in a cultural way, not only just going to church on Sunday kind of day. Sure. It's different. It's like, I mean, it's like you had certain meals on certain days that were made. Like with the Italians, there's only certain things that you made for certain specific holidays. You know, you didn't you didn't eat lasagna and all this other kinds of stuff. It had to be Easter. It had to be Christmas. It had to be because these were cultural things that you participate in your life. It wasn't like I mean, my relatives wouldn't buy certain fruit unless it was in season. So that each season had a certain aspect about it, and it was always tied in with the church in one way or another. Kind of like Rocky, you know, he's screaming out the window, <laughs> "Hey, Father, give me a blessing!" You know, so it was really it was really like that. You know, oftentimes the priest would be at your dinner table. That's fantastic. You know, so it's part of your culture, and they're not so, like, up there. You know, they're it's, it's part of who you are. I, I can relate to that to some degree. Uh, you know, growing up in a small town in the South, it's, it's oh, yeah. similar in, <laughs> yeah, yes. in a lot of ways. Um, I imagine for some of our listeners, it, it's almost a foreign concept because... Um, yeah, especially in this day and age. I, I get it. Yeah, I, I totally get the, it. The two seem to be very car uh, compartmentalized, our faith versus our, our everyday life. Right, yeah. It's, it's kind of separate, but if you come... Like, I'm first generation born in the United States. So I, all my relatives, you know, especially the older ones, were all from the old countries, right? So they live their lives like the old country. So And I lived in neighborhoods, grew up in neighborhoods... That were like being part of it wasn't it wasn't America it was Italy. You weren't when you're when you're in that part of the Bronx. You know you, they 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 talk English and stuff, but but mostly your grandparents didn't speak English. Like my grandparents didn't speak to me in English. They spoke to me in Italian. <laughs> and my my Cuban grandparents didn't speak to me in English. They spoke to me in Spanish, the Cuban dialect of Spanish. So it's, it's, it's a different world. I had one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world. That's, that's really fascinating because you know, you, 
there's there's you know the, the Hispanic, um, the, the Cuban side, the Italian side, and then just general America. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a, let me tell you, it's a, it's a balancing act sometimes. <laughs> I'm just curious, are there any other languages that you, that you know? Or is, well, my, I speak a little French. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I don't do too bad with Cantonese. But when you're a kid and you grow up with a lot, you know, languages thrown at you, children are, children are sponges. They absorb everything that's around them. Right. And so I have an ear for the languages, but I never took the, I only took French in school. Uh, the other languages, I just was immersed. In I, I, was going to, I was going to ask because it, it would seem, and, and I don't know how much evidence I have to really back this up, but it seemed like, you know, growing up in that sort of environment where you're learning three different languages, as it, mm-hmm. it might be a little bit easier. It is easier. To, I, I would say go. it's easier. Because as a kid, you're not afraid of anything like that. Right. You just start talking and you don't care if you mispronounce it. And people <laughs> laugh and they, they go, ha ha, that's not how you say it. You say it like this. I always mixed up the Italian and the Spanish because they're so similar. It's like, you know, Cochina's, uh, is a kitchen in Italian, but it's filthy woman in <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> is he like you're a world class musician? I am not a world class musician. He is. He has a guitar ensemble. Yeah, yeah. I have a youth ensemble. He's, he's an amazing teacher and guitar player and singer. See, he, he neglected to to mention this because we could have you know brought in the guitar, you know, like songs. Something else. No, it's like, thank you, Kishu. He's very humble. But um, yeah, I, I, I like teaching the kids, and um, my first experience with learning uh, music was at St. Francis de Sales in New York City. My mother made sure I went to the same kind of school that she went to, and um, music and art was part of my education every day. And uh, my first instrument was a harmonica. If you can imagine this nun teaching me how to play harmonica, my first song was Old Black Joe <laughs> on the harmonica. And the nun's teaching me, like, you know, there's a sorella, you know, and the nun's teaching me how to play a harmonica. It was like, uh, that, but that's what it was. And, um, and I, I used to play guitar as a kid for uh, anti-Vietnam war masses. Of playing Joan Baez songs and Judy Collins songs and and you know <laughs> it was the time period you know <laughs> and and um and, yeah that was a that was a big deal having those uh, folk masses back then when I was a kid and singing for peace and all that kinds of stuff so the guitar went along with my martial arts career. <laughs> That's so fantastic. Yeah, so I had a a very, uh, um, I I had a, for for everything that went on in my life, you know, everybody has bad and good comes together. The roses come with the thorns. Sure. Um, But uh, I was very fortunate to have the experiences that I had and the education that I got. Well, I would say, Mm -hmm. I would say that, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to to have this conversation with you because it's absolutely fascinating. We've got a few minutes left. I wanted to, to wrap up with a couple of questions. Sure. Um, you, you've lived in, ex- from everything I can tell in the last uh, you know, 20 minutes or so that we've been talking, just an extraordinarily interesting line. Um, is there a person that you could point to that you say, you know, has had maybe the biggest impact on your life? I'd have to say my mother. I have to say my mother. She was the one that, yeah, God rest her soul, she just recently passed away two years ago. Uh, she always say, you're an individual. Go out there and do it. Don't just use your mouth. Go and do it. 
God made you an individual. My mother used to say that all the time. Live your life, live your dreams. Well, I certainly can't say that I've met anyone quite like you, so you are most certainly an individual. Oh, my mother was Auntie Mame. <laughs> my mother was Auntie Mame. You ever see the movie Auntie Mame with I, Rosalind Russell? I, can't I, say that I, have. I recommend that movie. You watch that movie, and that's my mother. But everybody should have a mother like that. <laughs> my mother was Auntie Mame. Well, really quickly, before we let you go, um, are there any charities that you work with? The charity that I am working with right now is something that I actually founded. It's the Knights of St. Michael's Martial Arts Association, where we actually go out and feed the homeless. We actually go out and provide counseling and and uh, working with those who are suffering. That's, that's what we're doing. It's a voluntary uh, group. We meet once a week at uh, All Saints Parish. It's a mission church that has a storefront, and that's what we do, and that's the charity that that we're doing right now. It's an order that was just approved by the bishop. We actually have, uh, you actually become a knight, knighted. Um, full regalia, swords, you That's know. That's fantastic. So, yeah, so we, we did that, and what I wanted to do was to provide a, a platform where, you know, it's one thing to have an organization and saying, oh, we're Christian. It's another thing to actually go out and do actually do, like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, don't care about who they are, what they are, where they come from, but to lend out the hand, in, the hand of love, and that's what we're about. Um, if somebody wants to support that organization, is there a website they can go to? Or they can like go that? on Facebook right now for the Knights of St. Michael's Martial Arts Association, and they could check us out, and everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter what religious background you come from. And um, or lack of one, and if you want to participate with us, we have a certain way of life and a certain way of things that we're supposed to live individually, and we go out and we do what we say. Fantastic. That's the most important thing. Do what we say. Well, I will say this, and I'll most certainly do it. I'll make sure to post that onto our site so people can check that out. Thank you. I, w I, I would appreciate that very much. So you're very welcome. Uh, Sifu Manuel, it has been an immense pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, the pleasure was equal. I hope that I get to see you more during the, uh, the con. I certainly hope you will. That's very good. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for your time.